What's up, guys, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Here's what to check out on theringer.com as we head into the 2019 NBA All-Star Weekend. Dan Devine is writing about the five most interesting NBA teams, Shea Serrano's The Disrespectful Dunk Index returns, and Kevin O'Connor analyzes Steph Curry's evolution and how he changed the game of basketball. Also, don't forget to check out Bill Simmons' NBA trade value rankings and much more on theringer.com. Welcome to the Run NBA Show. I'm Kevin O'Connor, and this is The Corner 3. Joining me here in rainy Los Angeles, it's Ringer Associate Editor, Danny Chow. It's raining a lot here, man. Lots of rain, lots of rain. And from Dallas, Texas, it's Ringer Staff Writer, Jonathan Sharks. It's nice to be back on the pod, guys. Ready to drop some takes. I'm ready, I'm ready. Today's podcast is produced by Bobby Wagner and recording at 9.08 Pacific Time on Thursday morning. Today on the podcast, we have Pelican superfan Wynn Butler, the front man from Arcade Fire, and he's going to be on to discuss the very, very sad, sad state of the New Orleans Pelicans. But before we do that, us three are going to discuss the Eastern Conference contenders heading into the break, potential storylines, early reviews of their trades, and what's to come. Danny, let's start off with the Milwaukee Bucks. They're the, the number one team in the Eastern Conference. They have the number four offense in the league, number one defense, number one net rating, outscoring teams by 9.6 points per 100 possessions. What's the first thing that comes to your mind, Danny, for the rest of the season with the Bucks? I mean, really, the first thing that comes to mind is generally that 2014-15 Hawks team that won 60 games with Mike Budenholzer kind of like oh they're you know they're revolutionizing the the way that team basketball is being played of course it didn't last very long they got outed by LeBron but the one thing that the these Bucks have that the Hawks don't is a transcendent superstar and so you're kind of just like all right no this all makes sense that they're the best team in the league because you have a great coach and a great system and you also have one of the three most talented players in the league yeah, it's like if LeBron was on that Hawks team, basically. Our very own Zach Krem had a very good stat um, about Giannis's game last night or Wednesday night. He had 33 points, 19 rebounds, 11 assists. And Krem said in NBA history, only Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson, and now Giannis Antetokounmpo have ever done that. I think that really puts into perspective the type of season he's having, an MVP caliber year, whether he wins it or not, we'll see. But to your point, this team has a great system, Danny. They've made the right personnel additions with, obviously, Brooke Lopez and Ersan Eliasova, and now Nikola Meritich, who hasn't played yet. It's just to surround Giannis with this perfect ideal system for his game. I think my big question with Milwaukee, it's been that question all season, is their system is based around shooting around Giannis. So will their shooters, primarily their big men, hold up on defense against the other elite teams? And that's Lopez, Ilyasova, even Miritich. I'm not sure Miritich, if, they, if he starts getting headhunted by like Kyrie Irving, I don't know if he can stay on the floor. So to me, that's a big question. And I think the guy who's been really big for them, who could be huge in these playoffs, is DJ Wilson. Yeah. How come? Okay, so DJ Wilson, second-year big man from Michigan. He basically didn't play last year. He's, he's been put in the rotation, I think, in the last like two months. He's 6'10. He's basically like a much more athletic version of Miritich. I don't see, I worry that Bud is going to like bench this guy because he's a young guy and makes young guy mistakes, but he can move. He can really shoot it. He's a smart player. I think he could have a really, really important part of their playoff run. It's funny. DJ Wilson kind of like his potential playoff role kind of reminds me of 
what Thawne Maker did last year against the Celtics yeah, totally. when, when they kind of had to switch things up because they just didn't have any other options to kind of go against Boston. They brought in this versatile seven-foot guy who could, you know, shoot outside and kind of bring in these energy plays. And DJ Wilson was basically like left for dead last year. He didn't play at all. The stretches that he did play, he looked awful. And then all of a sudden, they put him in like, yeah, like two, three months ago. And he has like these incredible defensive stretches, just individual defense. And you're just like, where where did this come from? It, it, I like the Thon maker comparison for him. Thon didn't play in games one or two against Boston. Uh, and it's because for, for obvious reasons, because he's really not that good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then he comes in as this X factor the, the rest of the series. And he had some very poor moments, but also some very good moments. The nice thing for Milwaukee this year is with their depth, their veterans like Miritich, Lopez, and Ilyasova, you're going to lean on those guys first. They're better players. They're more proven players. Um, but if any of those guys are struggling to your point, Sharks, if, if Miritich is getting run off the floor on the defensive end, DJ Wilson is somebody... The rest of this season heading into the playoffs, I think it's a good uh, time to experiment with him and, and see if he continues to develop like he has this season heading into the playoffs where he can be an X factor for you. This team ha- has a luxury of having good depth, which they did not have last season. I, I don't see them moving off being the favorite by the time the playoffs begin. I just don't see that changing. Right. I, I think one thing that I would say is maybe a key, and it's not something that you can really control, but like, look, if you can get Giannis in foul trouble, that's probably the best way to go around, you know, strategizing against this team because uh, I think in their 12, 12 losses, seven of them occurred in games in which Giannis had at least four fouls. So you want to get him out of rhythm, obviously. This is not like rocket science. You want to get their best player in foul trouble. But the entire Bucks system revolves around Giannis. So if you take him off the floor, suddenly they become a much more ordinary team that you can kind of game plan much easier for. It's like you said, of course, they're worse without Giannis. But just to put that into perspective, uh, they outscore teams by 12.9 points per 100 possessions when Gian- with Giannis is on the floor, and they outscore teams by 2.9 points per 100 possessions without him on the floor. Um, that drop-off, obviously, they're still a plus team without him. Um, but that 10-point differential, uh, if you're able to either neutralize him or remove him from the game, obviously, is a big difference. The same thing with Houston this year, with right. them being so reliant on James Harden, having this one central player that you're relying on. Um, it's it's easier said than done because he's a great he's a great defender too and I think too what I want to see in these playoffs like I want to see Giannis go full LeBron like if it gets to a game seven I need Giannis to play 48 minutes like let I think I think he can do it I think he has the ability to just go the whole game and if he can do that like there's no one in the east who can really match up with Giannis no one in the league can really he is like the he is a guy that has there's no answer for him Moving on to the Toronto Raptors. They're only a game back from the Milwaukee Bucks for the best record in the East. Uh, They have the fifth best offense in the NBA, the eighth best defense. And they have another guy, obviously, in Kawhi Leonard, another very hard-to-stop player. Still hasn't been playing every single game as they're managing his injuries. He hasn't played a single back-to-back yet. I wonder if that's them being overcautious, Danny, or maybe that there's reason still. To be that cautious with him. I I mean, the the way that he's played, it doesn't really look like it's anything more than a quote-unquote load management kind of issue. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, obviously, we have no idea. Obviously, they're keeping everything pretty close to the chest. But I mean, he looks healthy. There's nothing about his play that would suggest that, you know, he can't do it. Well, guys, we should talk about last night without Kawhi out there. 
That was incredible. Pascal and OG, man. Who needs Kawhi? How many <laughs> points did they combined for last night? Pascal Siakam. It combined for 66. 66, I yeah. Believe. Siakam had 44 points on 15 of 25, and then OG Ananobi had 22 on 9 of 14, including 4 of 8 from 3 for, for OG and 4 of 5 from uh, 3 for Siakam. It seems like Siakam entered, he's improved every year. This season, he made a leap in October and November, uh, and then in, in December. I feel like since around mid-December or so, maybe around the time since Valanchunas went out, it seems like Siakam has taken another leap mid-season with his scoring. I mean, this dude is is doing things that you n- never really saw him do well, in college. They're they're playing him more of the second unit now. They're like staggering his minutes so that he has more time on the ball. Because like in the first unit, obviously you have Kawhi and Lowry. But when he goes in the seconds, he kind of gets the ball in his hand because do whatever he wants. I talked to somebody in the league recently who said to me, they're like, I like Siakam. I don't love him uh, because so much of his game is reliant on, you know, hustle and just outrunning guys. And in the playoffs, more people are hustling. And maybe that neutralizes some of his strengths. And even in last night's game, a lot of the points he scored was due to just beating guys up the floor oh, yeah. or hitting spot jumpers. I guess I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that, that perspective? I was just thinking about it, like, not to be reductive, but the best way for him to beat guys' athletic ability is playing him at the five. He'll beat any five at the floor, even if they're hustling, won't he? Yeah, no, I, I think he's the fastest big man in the game, uh, just end-to-end, uh, whether he's on the ball or off the ball. It almost feels like Westbrook-esque in, in terms of how much he can impact the game just by running and just like manipulating the defense just by exerting a little bit more effort than anyone else on the floor. Um, that's what you know gives him the opportunities to to pull off those spin moves that he's kind of you know become famous mm, for. They're so beautiful. Yeah, and it's because <laughs> he kind of creates his own space because of how fast he is. I guess the one thing I'm thinking, like in a series against Milwaukee, like Pascal's kind of doing his thing, but then like I could just see Giannis coming up behind him and like, oh, there's an even bigger shark. Outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a battle. I, I mean, I think with Siakam, to your point about him playing small ball five, I, I just don't think it's sustainable uh, to put him there for too long of a stretch. I, I think you can um, for a short period of time, but that's why you got Marcus Soul. They got Marcus Soul, so they have a, another big presence and upgrade over Valanchunas, who is a better defensive player than Valanchunas and the just best passing center they've had on a better long shooter time. Shooter than Jonas, better yeah. passer. I mean, too. truly, yeah. like I, I, I wrote about this uh, after their game against the Nets. No, Gasol point blank is the best passing big man they've had in franchise history. Like there's no there's no debate about it. I, I said that number two was probably Charles Oakley, who was like 35 in 2000. <laughs> like you'd have to go back 19 years to find the next best passing big man that they've had. KOC, I got a question for you. You're talking about like bigs versus smalls at the five position, but I'm thinking in a series with Toronto, Milwaukee, or Boston. Are those teams going to stay very big at the five? Like, who's the five outside of Embiid who really d- demands that you stay big against him in the East? I think, yeah, I still think against Milwaukee, they're they're going to be playing with size. I still think with Boston, there's going to be stretches where Baines is out there. And I know that's like not not a threat, but I'm just saying like... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Still, like, I'm still, not terribly concerned still, about Baines dictating matchups. But, but that, he was out there. You're also taking Ibaka off the floor, who's been very good for, for Toronto. And, or you're taking Gasol off the floor, who has been very good so far. Granted, it's been early. I, I still think those guys are positive contributors to your team. And like, if you're taking one of those guys off and putting Siakam at the five, who else are you putting on the floor that... We it's probably I mean, a lesser OG, player. Obviously. I mean, it's not always going to be like your best five 
small small wall five. But I'm saying though, like in a series against Boston, if Gasol's out there, isn't Kyrie head hunting him all the time? Might be head head hunting Siakam too. Compare. I'd rather have uh, Siakam guarding Kyrie than Gasol. I think you would, but then on offense, uh, I, I think having Gasol out there or Ibaka, those two have been so good for them. That's going to be the question for all these coaches. It always comes back like in the playoffs. It's like, how big do you stay at the five? How do you find the weakness? Well, let's tie this to the regular season, though. Like From Nick Nurse, what do you want to see from him experiment with the rest of the season? Because he has some new guys on the team now, Jeremy Lin and Pat McCaw. Uh, oh, yeah. Are, the, are, these guys who, are these guys who can grow into a role that's strong enough where you feel okay going with a small wall five? What are you looking for from those younger guys? Yeah, I, I think with Pat McCaw, it, it, it's kind of similar to what I was actually saying with Pascal Siakam. So... The one game that uh, McCaw and Gasol played together uh, was against the Nets, and they just looked completely in sync just because of their specific roles on the team. So Mark became this this hub from the high post, and McCaw playing you know in the Warriors system for the past two years kind of instinctively knew how to cut, and his speed on cuts pretty much opened up the floor for almost everyone else. So it wasn't just Mark Gasol finding guys open; it was kind of Pat, Pat McCaw creating these lanes also. And when I watched that, I was just like, oh my God, he's kind of impacting the game with his speed the same way that Siakam does. So he's kind of like last year's Siakam in guard form that they have now. And I think, I think too, McCaw is like the DeLon Wright replacement possibly. Because the one thing with Toronto now, they've got Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, and Jeremy Lin. That's a lot of really small point guards. And I wonder if like they might need a bigger defensive guard at the one at some point in the right. playoffs. Is there anything that Toronto could do the rest of the season for for you to feel that they're going to be the favorite over Milwaukee in your eyes heading into the postseason? I think at this point, it's just basically maintaining chemistry and and seeing just how much you can get out of guys like OG and McCaw. Because these young guys are definitely going to be the ones who are one of the most versatile like young athletes that you have on the team. And so if you can rely... like OG has had a pretty off uh, year so far, you know, on on and off the court issues like it's 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 been it's been a tough season for him but man these past two games have been awesome it's been really fun seeing him kind of emerge back to being the guy that we it, saw last year he's the like dream will those, never die danny og for life <laughs> he, he, he's like one of those swings he's one of those series swinging players as we yeah. just talked about with milwaukee in terms of Miritich and then the other guys like yelly sova and whatnot um moving on to the indiana pacers uh couple of Pacers fans are very angry uh, with me yesterday that <laughs> Indiana has not been discussed more by the Wait, national media. What did they media. say, Kate? Where is this they, coming from? They, they're, they're, just, they're just wondering as if it's a conspiracy <laughs> against Indiana. It's like, no, it's not a conspiracy. They, they lost their best player in Victor Oladipo. Right. It's, it's a very sad story because this team is good. It's a good team, even without Victor Oladipo. Yeah. A balanced offense, a tough defense with Miles Turner, who's a defensive player of the year candidate, Sabonis, who's a six man of the year candidate, a bunch of good wings and forwards. This is a good team still, even without Victor Oladipo. It's just they're not going to be right. a finals contender in the Eastern Conference because, sadly, the, the Oladipo had the injury that he had. Yeah. The, okay, KOC, let me troll these people real quick. Okay. <laughs> I think the most important thing about the Pacers is they got to stay in that three so we can see Celtics Sixers in the first round. Like, that's what I need oh. to happen. That's like the big storyline oh. for them. <laughs> and to be honest, that can happen because can. the Pacers are such a tough out because of the way they play. Their defense is right there with the Bucks as the number one in the league. Um, and I, the funny thing is, Oladipo went out, 
Boyan Bogdanovich has really stepped he's his game great, up. Man, dude. He's, he's really good. But the thing is, he's not a guy who's going to be like calling his own shot all the freaking time. <laughs> like he hasn't taken 20 shots yet. He, and the thing is, he has the green light to. He may have to in the postseason, right. which is kind of the issue. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, exactly. you know who will take 20 shots in a game is Wesley Matthews. Like he'll have no problem getting those shots up if need be. So they added him. He was uh, bought out by the Knicks last week. And he's kind of, I think, he, is he starting now? You, in you really don't like Wesley Matthews, do you, Chucks? <laughs> Uh, if every, chan- every chance you get, you just take I, a I've shot. I've watched him take a lot of really bad shots for a long time now. So, I don't know. Bow and arrow, whatever. <laughs> uh, it, the, you mentioned Indiana staying in that three spot. Their schedule outside uh, coming out of the All-Star break is pretty good. The New Orleans, Washington, Detroit, Dallas, Minnesota, Orlando, Chicago. But then it gets, it gets really, really yeah. tough. Yep. Milwaukee, Philly, New York. OKC, Denver, Portland, Clippers, Golden State, Denver, OKC, Boston. I mean, that's stretch. How many of those are home games versus away games? Uh, mostly away. New York Ooh. and OKC are at home. And then the second Denver game's at home. Everything else is on the road. And that's leading up till April, where it gets a little bit easier again. But boy, I mean, they, they could like be holding on to that three seed going into early March. And then just hit that stretch that'll probably knock them down to four or five. Yeah, I mean, and they, they lost against the Bucks uh, a few days ago. And before that, they kind of fattened up on on teams that were basically kind of teetering on the edge of of irrelevancy. Like even even that Lakers game that they they blew out by you know forty. It was like you know LeBron had just come back, he wasn't himself. The team is just kind of in shambles in like a psychological way, I guess. Um, so yeah, like it's just it's hard to kind of project this team as like a giant killer when. They just don't have their biggest weapon. I'm curious what y'all think. If they get to that 4-5, or five, do you think they have a shot against Boston or Philly in a series? How do you think that would play out? Mm, no. I, I don't think they have the versatility yeah, to I, match up. Yeah, uh, I mean, like they have two young rising stars on their team and Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis. Those guys are just coming along so well. Tur- Turner, like entering the season, he's a good defender, but... This year, he's become yeah, like he's a, been great. He, yeah, like a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate at 22 years old. It's impressive. Uh, I, I think the rest of the season with Indiana, I'm just looking for more and more growth from those guys. Turner's been shooting more threes this past month than he was at the beginning of the year when he was like just frustratingly just pick and popping to mid range. Right. Um, but just seeing more offensive growth from him, uh, so he becomes not just a, a stellar defender but a stellar two way big man. Because uh, I think those guys, we've talked about this over the course of the season. You know, might might not necessarily play them together, but they can still coexist on the same team. But if Turner can can explode offensively, I think then maybe you can play them together in big big. We're lineups. doing like a top twenty five thing next week. I think I'll put Turner in there, like in the twenties somewhere. It's like top twenty five players. In the I league. think I had him at twenty four or twenty five in mine, if I remember correctly. Mm, uh, quite I, good. I forget exactly. But yeah, he's he's been really really good this I season. Mean, guys, imagine if last year's Tyreek Evans was on this team. Like, would that change anything? Dropping 30 points per game right now. Well, didn't he only play like 40 <laughs> games last year or something? Like, I don't know if he can hold up for a whole season anyways. To think Memphis could have gotten like a, at least a pick for him, <laughs> right. back for him. Man, Memphis, no, no. this is a lot different story, but their asset management is two twos for Holiday when they're rebuilding. Oof, man. At least Memphis has Jaron Jackson, which brings us to the NBA Watch of the Night. Friday night, we have the Rising Stars game. It's at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and that's on TNT. Featuring Jaron Jackson, Jared Allen, Jason Tatum, DeAndre Ayton, Shea Gildas-Alexander, 
Danny, who are you most looking forward to watching in the Rising Stars game tonight? How the hell did you list all those players and not name Luka Doncic? <laughs> That's what I was looking for, Danny. <laughs> Look, uh, he I think he's the best player on either team, and I think that should probably dictate who wins. I, I say world team. World team wins. Charks, Luka Doncic will also be on our top 25 of the season list as well. I'm sure all three of us, correct? Yeah, I'll have him on there for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, and remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com or your local cable or satellite provider. And that brings us to the Celtics. They are 37 and 21 on the season with the number nine offense and the number five defense. They've been especially good, as we've talked about before, since they inserted the Marcuses, Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris into the starting lineup. Really, the conversation with them always gets back to their star players. Gordon Hayward has struggled for the most part the season, but as of late, these last three games, he's been quite good playing as aggressive as he did back in Utah, looking more Ooh. like himself. Sell me on Hayward, KOC. Are you buying this? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm buying. We've seen these little flashes before, and that's why I'm skeptical. However, uh, when we did see them in the past, I don't think he came with as much aggression, just the intent on scoring on drive right. to the rim as we've seen this past week or so. And that's why I think for Boston and for him personally, you know, as an individual player heading into the all-star break, I think you have to feel a little bit better about his odds of getting back to close to what he was by the playoffs, which is exactly what Boston needs to actually have a chance, I think, against Toronto or Milwaukee. Yeah, I just don't think we'll be publishing any oh, Gordon Hayward looks like he's back because every time we've done that, it's just like, oh, okay, well, it's over. I mean, he's 28. It's not crazy he'll get back at some point. Like, people act like he's totally cooked. He's in the prime, quote-unquote, prime of his career. So he should at some point get back, I would think, right? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, there's these last three games, the 19 points, 26 points, 18 points, and with really strong efficiency on top of what he's done all year, which has been really good playmaking. His playmaking has been the one thing that's made him yeah. a, a positive contributor, even without uh, the scoring being there for him. Part of it these past couple of games is Kyrie Irving has been out for two of them, and he only played 14 minutes in the first one. So in a way, they've needed Hayward to elevate hey, his see, play Would you more. say he's the best passer on the roster? Yeah. I think so. Um, Irving, Irving is not, but that's okay because uh, he's the best scorer on the yeah, team. It's really not his role. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, with Kyrie Irving, uh, the question has been raised as of late: Are they better? Can we say who's raised this question? Or <laughs> <we just> that? <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the question has been raised: Are they better off without Kyrie Irving? Uh, I think the answer is clearly a no. Um, with his with his scoring prowess, yeah, we got We got to keep the Ewing theory alive, you know, somehow. Look, sometimes your ball movement is better without Kyrie, hey, but there you go. it's it's like we have talked about with these other, other teams. Uh, I think Brad Stevens said it best for the Celtics to be the best versions of themselves. They need Kyrie Irving. They need their best but, player. They need yeah. their best player. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think Hayward emerging, though, theoretically gives them more room to maneuver, right? Because if you take Kyrie out their defense, there's no spots to attack them at all on defense, really, at that point. I mean, that's the interesting variable here where Irving is the guy that you can pick on on defense and the team and the player that teams will attack. It, you know, it, it's like with the Golden State Warriors uh, during the regular season, Stephen Curry, teams don't really attack him and ball screens or try to get him on switches that frequently, like maybe once or twice per game. But in the playoffs, they are attacking him relentlessly. And it's the same thing with Kyrie Irving in the East. Um, whether the, whether they're able to support him with their other defensive players, we'll see. Um, I, I do think there is some logic to 
when Irving's off, that's when they're at, at their best defensively. I just wonder if the gains on defense um, outweigh the losses that happen on well, offense. I think, too, like the other thing with attacking is like the best way to guard Kyrie Irving is to attack him on defense, right? Make him use his energy, wear out his body. So I think that's all the other reason why you see it happen more in the playoffs is because it's both ends of the floor. It, make, it really makes a difference when you kind of get them moving. I think one thing that has kind of shocked me and probably shocked most people is just like, Marcus Smart has, hasn't really stopped shooting threes well. Like, he's mm. been pretty good the entire season. And that kind of changed a lot of things for the way the Celtics were able Dana, to you know try out these lineups. Who isn't shocked by that? Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the longest hot streak of Smart's career. If we could even call it that. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's I not mean, even it, really a hot streak. He's back to, like, shooting... Le- or he's not back to, he's now starting to shoot league average from three, but that is such a huge improvement over his entire career. Basically, I mean, like he's been pretty much 30% since high school. Looking at his high school numbers, his college numbers, and then NBA numbers, pretty much 30% on the button, really. Um, If he's able to sustain shooting 36 plus percent of the postseason, obviously another one of those swing players for Boston. I think for them... it really comes down to where Gordon Hayward's at entering the postseason, but also Al Horford. Yeah. Uh, we we had talked about him early in the season where he had that knee injury and he didn't quite look like himself. As of late, he's looked tremendous, uh, including against that game um, against the Sixers where he again g- gave Joel Embiid a hard time. He's giving him a freaking lesson in basketball, man. This yeah. is like master's class education. What is it about that matchup, Charles, that's so hard for Philadelphia? Well, I think we talked about it. I'm not sure in this pod. You mentioned it was a good point in the Slack case. You talk about how like Horford never fouls Embiid. Like Horford's just a smart defensive player that he makes Embiid earn everything. So there's nothing easy given, no easy shots to the line. So there's one on the floor is that. On the other end, he just spreads Embiid out, pick and pops him, and just makes him. He's the perfect anti-Embiid player, really. Yeah. It's like when Embiid dominates people, it's like it feels like the league is playing checkers and Embiid is playing battleship. You know, so, but against Horford, you know, he's forcing you to play chess. And if you can't really outsmart him, then you're not going to win that matchup. And that's kind of been the frustration watching Embiid try to, like, basically try to punk Horford, and Horford's just not falling for it. Though that last play was a hack in that game. That was. <laughs> that, that was a hack. I will say, I, if I was Philly, I'd be concerned that, like, Embiid was like, oh, the refs. Bro, don't worry about the refs right now, man. Right. Like, you better keep your mental game on lock yeah. and figure out Horford. Don't be worrying about the refs. Yeah, honestly, the, the whole real estate thing, the mental real estate thing that Joel Embiid brings up all the time, Horford's in his head. <laughs> he has to be after everything that's happened the last year and a half. Let's move on to the Sixers then. They have the number 10 offense in the league, number 11 defensive rating, uh, 37 and 21 on the year. Obviously, they made their big addition of Tobias Harris at, at the trade deadline. Um, but Charks, I, 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 when we t- try to the head of this, it seems like you're not quite as high as on Harris as, as I am. See, I, I like Harris a lot, right? But then I'm watching that game against Boston, and it's like, is he better than Marcus Morris? I don't know. Especially <laughs> in like a smaller role. I think there's a there's a point where maybe in certain games he won't be better than Marcus Morris because of the diminishing returns of him being utilized in that off ball role. I, but I think there's like a, there's a higher ceiling for him where like in those games where he is hot and they're riding the hottest player, the guy with the best matchup. Uh, that's where perhaps Harris is that that's where that's where his greatest benefit is for you because of his versatility scoring as a playmaker coming off screens handoffs he can score in any way on or off the ball. Um, so I think he's better. It's just a matter of how often will he be 
have the ability right. to be better than. Okay, Horace. I'm thinking about it right now. So maybe the best role for Harris. We we all think about this. Like maybe when they take Embiid off the floor, instead of playing a more limited big man, you move Simmons to the five, yep. and you have Simmons and Harris together. Yeah, and then Simmons is playmaking for Harris with more wings around them. That that's actually kind of what I was thinking. Like when you have four like all star caliber players like this, there are so many opportunities for you to kind of mix and match the different. Uh, lineup arrangements and kind of allow one of those one of those or two of those players to kind of take the spotlight. So I was looking at that and I think Tobias and Ben Simmons kind of have a perfect kind of union there. And I, I looked up the the lineup numbers and they're actually playing 28 minutes uh, per game together in the past four games. So that's actually higher. That's higher than any other lineup, any other two man uh, combination on the Sixers like roster period. Yeah, I kind of like pairing those two, a Butler and Embiid, and then Simmons and Harris. I think that kind of makes sense as like two different little shifts, basically. Almost regardless of the lineup, uh, like with that combination or with Embiid on the floor, for the rest of this year, I want to see Brett Brown just install more and more pick and roll. Because I think with this personnel, with Embiid, with Simmons, with Harris, with Butler, three of those guys can handle the ball. All four of them can be used as a screener, and you can just just pick out mismatches. We talked about earlier how like Irving is a guy that could be attacked. Miritich is a guy that can be attacked. That's the matchups you, you can find using ball screens with these players. And if they don't switch, you can pick and pop. You can use Ben Simmons as a, as a short roll guy looking like Draymond Green or a lob threat, Blake Griffin style. Harris can handle. He's been used at like slipping screens uh, for the Clippers earlier this season. He can pop for three as well. Butler, use him any way you want to use him. Uh, I, I just think this team has so much versatility with who handles and who's uses a screen or uses use off ball that that might be a way for them just to maximize the, their upside with this big four or big five if you want to include Reddick heading into the postseason. Um, but yeah. they just don't run a lot of pick and roll right now. I mean, now. it, it kind of goes back to the idea of, of kiss, right? You know, keep it simple, stupid. Like the pick and roll is is such a yeah. foundational like way to create points in the NBA. Like why not go at that play type when you have four of the most gifted offensive players in the league. And I would say too, like I'd much rather pick and roll and beat af- post and beat after the pick and roll. Right. Right. Instead of just like going against Horford every time, like post them after a switch happens. It's so much easier. Embiid, statistically, he is an elite post player if you're including the drawn fouls. But if you remove drawn fouls against a guy like Horford, who is not a foul-prone player, he becomes average efficiency. And that's the case for a lot of bigs. Um, but Embiid goes from elite to average against Al Horford. So the better way to get him those post-ups is to switch. And maybe at that point, Philadelphia does scram switches and all that. But I think it's just, it is of the utmost importance of this, this break here heading into the playoffs that they install that into their offense and become a versatile pick and roll team. I I don't I think it's unreasonable to expect them to just undergo this big 180, this big personality shift midseason. Um, but they got to do more of it. They just have to. And if they don't, I think it's a big mistake by Brett Brown. I think that the other thing though with pick and roll is like if they're running pick and rolls, who do we really trust among their like backup wings to fill those like role space floor spacing role? I mean is it, is it, is we looking at Jonathan Simmons, James Ennis, Furkin Korkmaz? Is that the three options? Yep. Brett Brown did say there's like a, a battle between those three for who wins that role. Well, I don't know if battle's the right word. <laughs> <laughs> Pillow fight. <laughs> Pillow fight. It, I, I mean, the, the, t- the tough part for them is like, who's that winger forward you're going to add on the buyout market? Is it like you, you're chasing Carmelo Anthony? <laughs> God, is that, that was, I saw that on the, on the dock. Is that the really the best option? Is that <laughs> what a, left what a sad the state of affairs. Oh, yeah. A lot, lot of the good buyouts are gone, including. 
including Leslie Matthews, Charks, your favorite player. He's all gone. Okay, oh, hey guys, I one thing I want to point out real quick. So I was, I was looking over this stuff. I just remembered Philly traded Sterling Brown for cash last year in Milwaukee. That might really kill them. Like Sterling Brown would be perfect for this team. You can't be telling second round picks when be a championship contender, man. Right. It's just terrible. And Sterling Brown, 6'6, 232. Like he's a he's a truck built. And he can yeah, shoot it. Yeah, he could definitely shoot it. And he was like a secondary playmaker at SMU. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice, but also, do you think he would have been he would have been someone who Brett Brown would trust? Not if he was, not. Because they have another guy like that in Shake Milton. <laughs> oh, there you go. Now you're speaking my language, Danny. Oh my gosh, Shake Milton. Yes. <laughs> Is there any chance this implodes for them by the, by the postseason with Jimmy Butler getting six shots, ten shots? I mean, of course, right? with Jimmy Butler, he's always a risk to implode. I mean, yeah. If you're if you're looking at of the top four teams in the East, is is the are the Pacers still up there? Because like I I'm obviously not talking about the Pacers, but of the top four <laughs> teams in the East, they are the most likely to drop out in the first round, right? Philadelphia, yeah. If I was Indiana, mm. I team I'd want to play out of the other top because like the odds of them imploding will give you a chance, right? Some kind of chemistry thing just blows up, and then you're there to take advantage of it. I think it's fair to say that they have the greatest likelihood of losing early in, early in the first round, but I think they also have perhaps the greatest likelihood of just turning it on sure. by the postseason and becoming that that top team in, in the Eastern Conference in terms of who's most likely to make the finals. But I think it really gets down to the tweaks that they make on the offensive end of the floor and whether they actually happen or not. And I think there's maybe one more personnel change for them to make. I don't know like who would actually be out there, but whether it's playing Jonah Bolden more instead of Boban, or yep. maybe it's signing like Marcin Gortat as an upgrade. Because Bo- Boban is just not, not talking about Marcin Gortat. Bo- 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 I, I know, but Boban can't. He's he's a defensive liability. Like they need. Uh, that's why Jonah Bolden to me is the guy because he can actually space the floor for you. Like some of those lineups that they were using with Ben Simmons and Boban sharing the floor. There's just zero spacing. Like it looks like yeah. 90s basketball. It, yeah. There's none. It just can't it's not going to work in the postseason. Well, I think worth pointing out too before we get out of here is um Redick. Like for even in their best lineup, can Redick still be attacked right by an elite team? Can he stay on the floor in like game 7 of conference finals? I'm not sure that he can. For everything else that's going on, they still need Redick to shoot the ball. And he can be attacked by a lot of guys. Before we move on to my interview with Wynn Butler from Arcade Fire, it's All-Star Weekend. Friday, we get the Rising Stars game, the Celebrity game. Well, you'll be there, right? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm heading out there shortly. I'm running home after this to finish packing and then going to the airport. Um, And then on Saturday, we have Saturday night, dunk contest, shooting contest, and everything else. And then Sunday, we get the game. Charks, what are you most looking forward to from All-Star Weekend? I really enjoyed basketball without borders last year. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there were some good. I got to watch Siku Dumbaya. That was fun. That's not really, I guess, something. <laughs> Honestly, Sharks, me too. You know what? <laughs> That's what I'm most looking forward to this weekend. <laughs> we're, we're really staying on brand here. Yeah. Uh, um, I would say I'm I'm looking forward to Joe Harris winning the uh, three point contest. Nice. S- someone put in Slack that he's like plus seven hundred. That feels like a pretty good bet. Oh yeah, to win. Who, who's the dunk guys this year? I guess that's probably Hamidou Diallo. Uh, get up. John Collins, Dennis Smith, and who am I forgetting? I don't know. You're rattling these off the top of your head. I'm very impressed. I'm not sure I could have gotten. Dude, one Dennis of them. was robbed <laughs> last year. By the way, he had the best. Du- that was yeah. incredible. Do you remember that dunk he had? 
where he like went between the legs and t- did a 360. That was unbelievable. Bridges? Did you get Bridges? Oh, Miles Bridges. Yeah. Oh, just, okay. I'm still looking forward to Miles Bridges. Some young one. guys in this one. It's good. It's a nice group. I don't know. I don't know if Bridges has like the 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 wiggle. That's like, true. He's the, more the of a power air, Yeah, the in-air wiggle. Like I feel like all of his dunks would be like, he should just find a, a Frederick Weiss-like figure and just like dunk on him. Like for all three rounds. Dennis Smith is the favorite entering the dunk contest. I think as he yeah, should be. As he should be, yeah. Although, like, so, don't don't yeah. sleep on Hamino yeah. Diallo. Mm, I, yeah, I, I, he, he's a crazy yeah. athlete. I, I think Diallo, he look, he's plus 300. He's he's least likely to win according to Odd Shark. Uh, I like that. I mean, the last time he was in a dunk contest, he lost against Zion Williamson. So, yeah, maybe, that's not bad company. Perhaps we'll see Zion next year's yep. dunk contest. will be the event of the century. See Zion next year's All-Star game, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> uh, looking forward to watching the, the, uh, all the events this weekend. That's all we have time for today, though. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, good. To have fun in Charlotte, KOC. Today's Runner NBA show is brought to you by Cavo. Clean up your remote control clutter with Control Center by Cavo. Control Center simplifies your home theater so you can control everything connected to your TV with one easy-to-use remote with voice control. Plug in your streamer, sound system, cable, or satellite, even your game console, and Control Center does it all. Don't waste time fiddling with different remotes or weeding through messy search results to get the content you want. One universal voice remote controls it all. So just say what you want to watch and let the control center handle the rest. In fact, you can enjoy every second of couch time and easily switch between content without moving a muscle. Let control center take your at-home entertainment experience from stressful to simple and enjoy what you want when you want it with ease. I mean, everybody hates dealing with clutter around the house. I hate having to deal with two or three or sometimes four different remotes. And it's great now being able to use Cavo and just have it all on one remote. It's been so much easier being able to switch between all these crazy NBA games every night. So shop now and get 40% off Control Center with promo code NBA. That's $59.95, 40% off regular pricing of $99.95. Service plan is required, but the first 45 days are free. Control Center is available at Cavo.com and Best Buy. C-A-A-V-O.com. Control Center by Cavo. One remote that does it all. And now back to the corner three. Wynn, how are you doing today? I'm great. Happy, uh, happy Mardi Gras. Happy Mardi Gras to you as well. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned in the intro recorded before this, uh, Wynn is a Pelicans fan, uh, so he's down in New Orleans right now. And I know you were at that game last Friday night, and, and when you and I emailed uh, that night, you said to me that it was one of the weirdest games that you've ever been to, uh, with Anthony Davis being booed and then cheered every time he scored. Um, how would you describe the energy at these Pelicans games right now, now that AD's back? Um, it's definitely, it's by far the strangest atmosphere I've ever experienced. I mean, it's sort of like if like you had an affair with your wife and then got back and like, oh, technically we're not allowed to divorce. What's for dinner? Uh, it's weird. It's, it's a weird vibe. <laughs> That's like, it's like similar to the analogy I used when I wrote about this last week. I said it, it's like an inevitable split, right? It's like the couple broke up, but they still have five months left on their apartment lease, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like it's like a New York, New York apartment, standard New York <laughs> scenario, but... But I mean, I guess it would make more sense if, like, if you were being paid like forty million dollars to be in that couple. But oh yeah, that's that's a nice incentive. Get get to be able to do that. It'd be easier. Yeah, yeah I can 
can have some awkward dinners. Were you at the game last night as well in New Orleans? I was. It might have even been stranger. Yeah, last night, AD had three points on, I think, one of nine shooting after the game. Uh, he said, quote, nobody was interested in playing is what it looked like. Yeah, it does seem like that right now. It, it, the, this, the difference between the way the team was playing before with like Kenrich Williams and Czech Diallo and Julius Randle, all these younger guys, it's become lifeless, hasn't it? Yeah, and there's these kind of young dudes who they don't, I mean, this is, they have no idea what's going on really. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you would prepare yourself for this sort of environment. It's like really, really strange, you know? And also like without AD playing well, it's not a very good team. I mean, it's, you put him on the bench. It's a, it's really, I mean, Drew is amazing. He should be an all-star, but it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty weird vibe out there. Now, last week, ESPN's Brian Windhorst reported that the Pelicans were threatened with a $100,000 fine for every single game that Anthony Davis sat. However, the NBA did tell Mark Stein of the New York Times this week that that's not the case. It was really just a refresher on the rules, resting players who are healthy enough to play. I mean, I think they probably should sit him just because if he gets injured, it's like really like such a nightmare for everyone involved. But, you know, like on the flip side, like I really remember when Kobe was like demanding to be out of L.A. and, you know, it was like seemed like a done deal. Um, I mean, I, I feel like that's like the most comparable situation I can remember where it's like he didn't get traded and then it was just business as usual, you know. So it's like like in, in some like weird alternate reality it's kind of, you know, people talk about small market teams in the NBA, but it's like, I mean, you couldn't pay me to live in LA or New York. It's like New Orleans is an amazing culturally rich city. It's not like we're in uh, Oklahoma city or like Shots fired. Or something like, that. <laughs> like there's worse towns to live in and play basketball. It's like, it, you know, the quality of life is so great. I mean, there's no, it doesn't necessarily follow to me that you couldn't, I mean, I kind of think of it as like the Drew Brees model. It's like he just got one, but the one that he got meant so much to so many people that it's like the whole like goat debate or whatever. It's like you just completely sidestep it because, you know, like when Akeem won the championship in Houston, it's like he didn't need to get a hundred of them. Just that one was like so meaningful to the city of Houston that basically it's like your own, your own version of immortality. It's like he doesn't have to be like, who's better like Akeem or, or, you know, uh, like Will Chamberlain, like it just doesn't matter because he just kind of took care of business and, and, and did his thing. He's not taking care of business anymore though. Like with the effort last night, you said that you would send him home now. Do you think that's kind of the, the consensus among Pelicans fans? Is, is that something that people tend to agree with? Cause when we chatted last week, I think at that point you were like, no, he should play. Uh, but seeing these last three games, he, You've changed your mind there? Well, I don't know. It, it's like, if he's gone, he's gone, you know? So it's like, if I thought there was like a little sliver of a chance that like they could, but they kind of just, it was really strange because it just felt like they were trying to make a move to make a push for the playoffs for the last couple months. And you were just kind of waiting to see. And then it just kind of went the opposite direction. As you were describing, you know, the Kobe scenario, is there like any even if it's a false hope, is there any hope at all that you do have that it could be resolved in some way by the off season? Well, not anymore. I mean, basically, you know, watching those Kobe years when, when he would lose to Nash every year in the playoffs was some of the most painful basketball I've ever watched. Like, like prime Kobe, I hated watching him play. But then when he got Powell, it was like all of a sudden, then you had a team. It was just that, that one piece away from, like they, there couldn't have been a, a bigger difference between watching Kobe play with Powell and watching him 
just like, like try and score 50 every night, you know? Um, and AD is that level of player that if, if you manage to put the right, just one piece next to him, you know, he's going to be the best player on the court 99% of the time. So it's not like it's inconceivable that you could make a move to like put him with someone that would just be magic, you know? Now, Anthony Davis obviously was putting up just great MVP level numbers until January, but much like James Harden has for Houston, just elevating his play to an even higher level or like AD did last year after Boogie got hurt. Is there any disappointment that he didn't reach the next level uh, like he did last season just to help this team uh, get into the postseason? I didn't feel that way. I mean, he was still, he plays his ass off. I mean, he put up some crazy numbers. I mean, that's, when I moved to New Orleans, like just to have the opportunity to watch him play every day, you know, every, every home game is like, he just does some shit I've never seen anyone do. Um, so I can't, I haven't seen that at all. Like I, in, up until a couple weeks ago when the tap just got turned off, but it's not like he's been like phoning it in this year. He's, no, he just didn't really have, I don't know. He's 25 too. You know, it's like, I don't think Harden was, could have, could have done what he's doing now at 25. There's no, there's no way. AD right now is, you know, at the beginning of the season was playing the best basketball of his life in terms of like, he grew up playing point guard in high school. And this was the year where he finally, I think more than any other season was, was bringing the ball up the floor, even just running a little pick and roll. But he had the best passing numbers that he's ever had. Just wasn't enough with the supporting cast. Uh, Like early in the year, the Pelicans, they outscored opponents by, like 12 points per 100 possessions with Holiday and Davis on the floor. So that's like the equivalent of a 60-win team. And you mentioned earlier how obviously this team isn't very good when AD isn't playing well. Like it, Before, when you pulled Holiday or Davis off the floor, they started performing like a 20-win team. The, the difference in the importance of AD and Holiday this team is, is so significant. And, and like with the issues that they have now, uh, part of me wonders, I'm curious about your thoughts here, should they have taken that reported Lakers offer as strong as it was? How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, those draft picks are like late first. I don't see any evidence of like any genius draft strategy from the Pelicans. Like I've, the Houston Rockets and the Spurs just always find some dudes in the late first round, like consistently, like they obviously have put a lot of investment into that. I don't really see any evidence of that. Though Buddy Heal is looking pretty good <laughs> with the Sacramento Kings. I mean, that's one, I, just one. <laughs> I would, I know like that. What a shock. Like he was truly terrible here. I was like, <laughs> are you, we got boogie for him. Are you crazy? That's the best trade of all time. <laughs> and this year it's like, man, Buddy Heal would be looking really nice right now. Like that was <laughs> like that's pretty much exactly what we need. That was a heartbreaker. That was a trade they still had to make though, I think. You were going they had to make that yeah. trade. You do that a million times and and don't get it twisted. I mean, Buddy is not he's not that great. I mean, he, he he's playing in a good system. I'm happy he's playing well. I like I like the kid, but he was he was bad here he would look great on the, on the Pelicans if they were building a younger team. They had to make that boogie yeah. move, but moving forward. Um, so, so you wouldn't have taken that Lakers deal because it was, I, I you mentioned the draft picks. I, I, just, I, I don't I think don't, it was, I don't, I don't want, I don't want any, any of those dudes. So you don't like Brandon Ingram. I don't, I, I went to a Lakers game last year. They played the Clippers and it was maybe the worst basketball game I've ever seen. It was like, the pre-LeBron Lakers team, or, or the Lakers right now, even they're pretty, <laughs> they're playing pretty ugly basketball. I, I don't want to watch that. It's terrible. Like, 
I mean, maybe ball, I'm not saying that they couldn't be good at some point, but I don't really want to like build a franchise around any of those dudes. I don't know. I, I still think there's a chance that that offer, you know, because this summer, um, so much is dependent on what happens with Boston. Uh, if Boston is able to put Jason Tatum in a deal, uh, Tatum is a guy that could change New Orleans' franchise, like his scoring ability and what he could grow into. But so much is dependent on what Kyrie Irving does. If Irving were to leave Boston uh, for New York or somewhere else, I think that would lessen the possibility that they would put Tatum out there in an offer for Anthony Davis because AD's interest in Boston, from what I've heard, could be tied to his friendship with Kyrie. So uh, there, right. there's a chance this summer that New Orleans enters you know, the draft, draft season, then free agency, and there's not something out there that's better than the reported offer of Ingram, Kuzma, Ball, Hart, Zubats, and then two first-round draft picks. Like That offer might not have a quote-unquote guaranteed star like Tatum is perceived as by some people, but it still could end up being better what they get this summer. And I think that would be my fear um, if I'm New Orleans, and that's the risk in waiting, though. To me, like if, if we can get Barrett or Zion or or Tatum, like that's that's the only possible sil- silver lining to the whole thing. I'm glad you brought up uh, the draft um, because I think with with AD right now they're in a spot as of Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. That's when we're recording this. The New Orleans Pelicans are two games back from the Memphis Grizzlies for the sixth worst record, and sixth worst record has a nine percent chance at the number one pick. But they're also two games ahead of Minnesota, uh, which is a 1.7% chance. So they're smack in the middle of having pretty pretty good odds to very poor odds for a chance to draft Zion Williamson, who is the best prospect since AD and maybe since... KD that Odin draft in 08 or maybe they're the best he's the best prospect since LeBron in 03 for that matter so I think for New Orleans there's so much incentive for their team to to send AD away right now or not play him very often because there's so much to gain in the draft Uh, for you obviously the product wouldn't be as good not watching AD if he starts playing like Anthony Davis instead of what we saw on Tuesday night but does that potential reward in the draft make the season at all a little bit more interesting because of the hope that it provides? I mean, I don't necessarily want to watch it, but I mean, that is what they should do. I mean, they should they should sit AD and just, you know, have a shot to get one of those top three picks because the rest of the draft is like, if you can get in the top three, then that you can, something you can work with, plus a trade for AD, then you're kind of in business, you know? So is Tatum, Tatum's a guy that you want in an AD trade then? I want Zion or Tatum. I mean, to me, that's the only return approaching not a complete nightmare. Two seasons of Lonzo Ball is really not going to cut it, as far as I'm concerned, for trading for like the best big man I've seen since Akeem Olajuwon. Is there any fear that you have about the team moving if this trade doesn't go well and doesn't reset their franchise in a positive way? I think there's a real missed opportunity in terms of, I don't know, you're, just, you're in this incredibly vibrant city Every time I go to a game and it just feels like a normal NBA game with the stupid jumbotron and everything, you know, it's like New Orleans. You could you could have like a college brass band atmosphere so easily that if you came into that building, you it would be like such a home court advantage because um, it's such an exuberant fan base. I mean, if you go to a Saints game, it's sixty thousand people in a city of three hundred thousand people, but that wasn't the case in the eighties. It was the games were empty. The reason that people are there is because they won. 
and it, it, it was the same in Houston when I was a kid, like when they got a keen, it wasn't like people were going to the games until they went to the finals against Boston. Then people were like, Oh, basketball could be interesting. You know, it's like, you have to really win. If you win, people still turn up in Utah. It's not like Salt Lake city is like a great city, but like they have, they've been very good for a very long time. So that's how you build a fan base. It's just be, be good. I mean, that's what makes this summer so pivotal. I mean, obviously, like when you're trading an all-time player like AD, but it's not just about the trade. It's it's about the state of the franchise and being able to build a a basketball culture there where there are great fans um, of the Pelicans. And I I think you mentioned Zion, like whether somebody were to trade Zion for AD or New Orleans being able to get him in the draft, there, there is a chance for New Orleans, if they get a good return, like if they were to get Tatum and Marcus Smart, uh, and and a couple other you know picks from the Celtics in addition to other assets from them and a top three pick and then yeah then and yeah I I want to go check that out more than I want to see the like Laker dudes running around and being sad to live in New Orleans like I'm good I don't need to watch that <laughs> did, did that did that turn you off the report about Lonzo Ball not wanting to play in New Orleans because I think like basketball wise he would be a fascinating fit in Alvin Gentry's up tempo offense. Uh, but just the fact that he doesn't want to be there, that seems to diminish your your interest in even wanting him on the team, knowing that when free agency comes, like then he's going to bounce. The whole Gentry thing is like the Steve Nash offense, but we've never had a point guard and, except for Rondo, you know, which is what a coincidence. That's the one year we were actually good is when we had like an actual point guard. It's been strange running this up-tempo Steve Nash offense with without Steph Curry or Steve Nash. It's like, why... <laughs> doesn't like there's a pretty mis- key piece missing here if you don't have steve nash or steph curry have, have, <laughs> have only had alfred payton even for just 19 games <laughs> haven't even had your point yeah. guard. <laughs> no but i mean rondo i mean i'm a huge rondo fan always have been Me but too. he's the only like ad is so laid back and drew drew is you know one of the best two-way players in the nba but like neither one of them are like everyone's just so nice on this team there's no like edge Rondo is the only guy we've ever had who like he doesn't want to lose the checkers. He doesn't want to like he doesn't want to lose a tic tac toe. Like he's just not cool losing, and just that kind of competitive, the kind of intelligence and competitive spirits really, really missing this year. Rondo definitely doesn't want to lose to Connect Four. Uh, but that's that's one game he absolutely yeah, does man. not want to lose. I out. mean, he, he'll cut your throat before <laughs> he loses a Connect yeah. Four. <laughs> With Tatum, the one interesting thing to me is a couple weeks back before the trade deadline, I think Bill Simmons and I talked about potential AD trades. And one of the points that I made on that pod was, I think for New Orleans, part of the mindset with this trade needs to be finding a guy who actually has interest in playing there. So like to the point about that Lakers deal, who knows about Ingram, but Lonzo Ball doesn't. With Tatum, you know, he's from St. Louis, Missouri. He comes from a really good family from down south. Um, maybe for him, he would find New Orleans could be like home. Uh, there was the report earlier this week that he would have, even have interest in being the face of a franchise somewhere else. I think Tatum, for basketball reasons, makes a lot of sense, but also for that off-court reason as well. And if you're able to pair him with a high draft pick that they make, whether it's Zion or R.J. Barrett or somebody else, uh, when you have him uh, under contract, under team control for eight, nine years, New Orleans, look, it, like they can salvage this situation if they're able to get a good deal back for AD and be able to set themselves up for an even brighter future with the amount of young assets they can get. It's not the end of the world here. As, as long, no, but it, I mean, 
Dell Dams, I, like, honestly, if he's going to do it, I'm like, I, I'm very skeptical. It's sort of insane to expect to have any different outcome just to, to, to like have that dude making those calls. It's like, it's like borderline, like, like, it's like super irresponsible, actually. It's like, I probably know 10 people that could do a better job just from having friends in the NBA, you know, like, <laughs> like I just, ha- I was hanging with my friend, Becky Bonner, who, who works for the Orlando magic. It's like, I would hire her as the GM for the Pelicans tomorrow. She's like one of the smartest basketball people I've ever met. Like there's so much talent. Um, you have to just bring someone in who's like kind of like progressive and kind of not thinking about things in this really old school way. It seems like a lot of hires are, um, for NBA general manager positions are people who are like second in line in other front offices or people who have done it before. It's like New Orleans has Danny Ferry. Um, he was reportedly playing a significant, uh, he was a significant voice in the pre, pre-deadline discussions involving Anthony Davis. And th- right. th- there's been some noise that maybe he would be the guy to take over for, for Del Demps if he gets taken over. Um, but so much of it seems to be just the second in line person gets hired these d- jobs, not the people who are third, fourth, or fifth um, in other front offices. No, I mean, I mean it's, all, it's all about talent and intelligence. And like, I don't, I don't think you necessarily need to keep hiring the same type of people all the time. But I, mean, I think the opportunity is there. Like, if you, if you could do it in New Orleans, I, I mean, the thing is, like, AD... Like I'm a massive fan. He's an amazing, amazing basketball player. But like at a certain point, you have to just win, you know. So it's like it doesn't really matter if your team isn't good enough or or whatever. No one really cares. Like if you win, then people in this town will just have your back forever. But it, you can't like make people get into something just because because you're really good at basketball. No one cares. Just you just go win, and then the people will come. Hopefully, for New Orleans, they're able to get a significant return this offseason and, and oh, turn it so around. Oh, sad, though. He's so good. Fuck. Could, could so get another good, good player? Zion? Basketball. Zion? Could, <laughs> He's so fucking good. If you're able to get Zion, he, he could win you over pretty quickly when. I mean, it's it's also weird kind of... I finally... Like, I'm not... I'm, like, the least LeBron fan on planet Earth. And, like, as soon as he started talking about Trump, I was like, oh, I'm, you know what? He's a dad now. I'm a dad. I can kind of relate to LeBron. And now it's like, he's just back in my bad books again. I think it's absurd to talk about him as the goat. It's like, give me a break. He's like Shaq. He's he's like Shaq level. I don't think he's even like remotely close to Jordan. I'd take Shaq in in a draft over LeBron any day. I guess it depends on how you're building your team then. I'd take LeBron first. Uh, Speaking of the (laughs) NBA All-Star Celebrity Game, uh, did they ask you this year? Because you're 4-0 in these games. Former MVP. uh, Put on... Hakeem ask numbers at the celebrity game. Did they ask you? <laughs> I, I wasn't available this year where I was, I've, I've been in the studio. So I also kind of got lucky. Um, the four years I did it, it was like New York, LA, New Orleans, and Toronto. Some and Charlotte. Things. I was like, oh, am I really going to fly to Charlotte right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a tougher ask. I guess they replaced you with Chris Daughtry then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the, the the rock musician they added in there. You said you're recording. Yeah. Uh, you're in the studio. Is this Arcade Fire or uh, uh, yeah, DJ I mean, Windows uh, Project? I mean, just working on a working on a track, but it'll hmm. it'll actually be out sooner than later. Really? It's possible yeah. si- Arcade Fire single coming out this year. Yeah. Well, thank you again for chatting today, Wynn. I'm bummed that we won't see you in the Celebrity Game, but it's exciting that a new single is coming out. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, pleasure. 
Thank you again to Wynn Butler from Arcade Fire for taking the time to chat New Orleans Pelicans with us and Danny and John at the top of the show talking about the Eastern Conference. We'll be back next Friday. And thank you for listening to The Corner 3. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dog. Tell everybody you know. Tell Shea Serrano to listen to the show. That'd be really appreciated. Special shout out to Bobby Wagner for producing the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. 